This is News Talk's SSE Electricity League podcast. I'm Oshin Langan. No Dan today. He's feeling unwell. You can get me via Twitter on at Oshin Langan. Coming up, Shawnee Maguire for Ireland. Shane Keegan on how he's going to get it right at Galway United, even if they fake being confident. And we sit down with former Shamrock Rovers player and now Bray manager Harry Kenny. He'll talk to us about his footballing past, present and future. Now, very much part of his past was Milltown, which closed 30 years ago this week. It seems kind of fitting that the number one in Ireland at the time was U2's ultimate breakup song, With or Without You. I can't say what's going to happen about it, but it seems very sudden. What do you feel about it? Very, very, very sad. Are you a sidesider? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And will you follow them to Talk Apart? No. 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 Come on, there's Sligo Rovers! So the mood is angry? Very Very angry, very angry, Very angry. 40 years coming down this road. Sad day for ice football. At halftime, the Shamrock Rovers fans gave vent to their feelings and staged a protest by occupying the centre circle. It took a special plea from Rovers manager Dermot Keeley to clear the pitch for the second half. Thirty years ago this week, Milltown shutting down. I never got to go to a game in Milltown or Flower Lodge for that matter. And as a football fan, I kind of feel robbed of... An experience, but look, these things happen. Dermot Keeley, actually, the manager of Rovers at the time, you heard him being mentioned in there by Fred Cogley, who was on duty for RTE that day, along with George Hamilton. He's been writing in the Sun this week. He says that he won't go along to the marking of the closure at the game between Shamrock Rovers and Sligo Rovers this week because he feels he wouldn't be welcome. He said at the time he backed the move because he thought the money that would be made from the sale of the property. He thought that would go into the team and building a team. He thought it would go into the stadium at Tolkien and building a matchday venue. Obviously, that never quite happened. And he says now he knows he was wrong, but there's not much he can do to change it. The past is the past. And that's actually a very fair point by Dermot Keeley. I hope for him he actually does go along and I hope he's welcome because people make mistakes and it's easy to judge in hindsight, but he did what he felt was right at the time. Now... A man who isn't looking back in anger is Dave Robertson of Sligo Rovers. We'll chat to him a little bit later about his departure and how he feels that maybe the club acted a bit prematurely. He'll also talk to us about the interesting comments made by Declan McIntyre, the interim manager following the 2-0 win over Bohemians. He said that um, there were certain elements of the local media who weren't very fair on Robertson. We'll talk to him about that and what he hopes to do with his future. That's a little bit later on. First though... Let's talk about happy things. Sean Maguire with eight goals now in eight games. He is the player of the month. Stewie Byrne told Off the Ball's League of Ireland slot that Martin O'Neill really needs to call him up. I think he's worth a shot, yeah. I think we've nothing up front and I think this guy is definitely, at the moment, the way he's playing, good enough to, ha- to have a look at in the in, in the Mexico friendly, without a doubt. I would love to have seen him maybe involved in the Iceland friendly. Hard to disagree with Stewie Byrne, who was part of Off the Ball's League of Ireland slot last Tuesday night. Now, Sligo Rovers, as we mentioned, go to Tala this Friday, fresh from their 2-0 victory against Bowes at the showgrounds obviously they did that without their manager Dave Robertson who left the club last week Dave Robertson joins us now um, Dave after a tough week how are you? Um, I'm fine Oshin to be fair I'm um, staying positive obviously uh, I was disappointed with the, the outcome of what happened at Sligo but um, you know I'm just looking forward to, to whatever's going to be next for us In as much as you can tell us because I appreciate sometimes these things have to be kept private. What was the conversation like between you and the club? How were you told? What was the reasoning given to you? Um, well, listen, obviously, um, no one can look away from it. It would have been um, results-based. It would have been, um, you know, just solely around that. But, you know, from me, looking at it objectively, um we actually had more points on the board um, when I left than what we did this time last year, and we knew that we would turn it around. And the, there was enough in the enough in the group to to do that uh, with a couple more additions. I felt that we could have, you know, even improved on that. But um, you know, it's results, and and I think that there is that obvious element of panic this year because of um, three teams going down from you know from twelve. Do you feel it was? results-based as a decision, but maybe not performance-based? Um, no, definitely not performance-based because of, um, listen, the first two the, the, the first two results and performances weren't good enough. You know, I would always be 
um, honest and you know and uh, and accept that. Uh, but beyond that, you know, I felt that our performance levels were our performance levels were good. Our performance levels were strong in our last four games. You know, we'd won one, drawn two, and lost one. Um, in my tenure there, over 18 months, I'd only lost three competitive games at the showgrounds, twice against Dundalk and once against Shamrock Rovers. So, in terms of the um, the performances and the, um, and a return of points, you know, especially in our home form, I felt was you know was very good. But um, you know, listen, I, I'm not bitter in any way, shape, or form. It's just um, I think it's a, a nature of what's happened. And, and if I'm honest, I hope that it doesn't trigger other clubs to, to do something similar because of, otherwise it then just becomes silly season for managers, which is uh, not really what the, the League of Ireland's about, you know, historically. Had you been given a, a three-game warning or anything like that? Had you been given any indication in the weeks leading into the decision? No, listen, everything, everything right away from, from, start, from start to finish, whenever I had my conversations with the, with the chairman, you know, we, we always spoke about um, the importance of the next game, the importance of the next game. And, um, you know, with the nature of how the league is this year, I think it's going to be um, 33 cup finals, you know, for, for nine out of the 12 teams. And um, every game is a massive game. And when you look at the actual, the, the, the points difference from, um, you know, from that, that temp spot, which um, Sligo lie in, you know, to... Um, to being in the fourth spot is four points. You know that's it's, it's so it's so tight, and it's going to be so tight all season because of you know teams, squads, players, managers, committees are going to be fighting for their lives, and because of things are done resourcefully, I would say kind of below um, below the top three big spenders in the league. Um, I feel that, that that's going to be that's going to be the case, and. Um, there's going to be lots of twists and turns in the league as it goes, but uh, I have to say it'll make it. It will definitely make it more exciting, you know, for um, for the supporters, and it will make it I think that little bit more nervy for um, for managers and players this year. One thing I saw said a couple of times. Now, granted, on social media, I appreciate that isn't always the best barometer, but it's where you can see some fan opinions. They said, you know what, fair enough what you did last year. You came in late, you had to get a squad together very late. But that wasn't the case this year. And it was it was too slow a start considering the resources you had and the amount of time you had. What do you make of those comments and, and that theory? Um, listen, the biggest thing for me is whenever you look at anything, in particular when, you, um, when there's lots of views on social media these days, and that is a, a part of the game that has, that has changed and you have to accept that. But there's also credibility in the, for me, in my opinion, the, the, the people with the, the most amount of credibility is um, the management team and the, um, and the players. And the one thing that um, that I can tell you categorically is that um, that 100% of them, you know, were, were 100% behind what we'd set out to achieve as a as a group. Um, Bill, in terms of the recruitment, there was two. There was two players that I tried to sign, um, you know, one from a League Two club and one from Belgium, and and those fell through, and you know, and, and that affected it. So we had to go back to the drawing board, and um, but the resources, the resources in terms of the planning budget are, um, are not really what what supporters think they are. Did you get as much as you thought you would for this season, or was it a case of you actually got what you wanted, but you just couldn't quite get those players and? It's a small group that you're after. It's hard to get guys to Sligo, and and it was always going to be difficult once you didn't get those guys. No, it's not difficult. It's not as difficult to get um, to get guys and players to Sligo. I think the, um, that's probably a little bit of a that's probably a little bit of a myth. I think the the bottom line is the resourcefulness in which you work in probably cuts out a lot of the players that you would like to bring in. Um, because of simply budget wise they would be you know they would be out of the um the payment structure that would be that would be available so um you have to you have to look at that so what you have to do is you don't have to go with a um a strong and clear strategy of um of certain players that you want to bring in that are going to improve the squad over a period of time get to where you need to be and you need to add to it in each transfer window and and I felt that we did that. You know, we, we could have had two more players. Um, bottom line is, I wouldn't bring players in for the sake of bringing them in. They had to be the right types that were going to improve us. And 
Um, and as it was, the, the two that did fall through was not on the players' player side or or on our side. It was um, it was simply you know um, you know registration, administrational issues and challenges and, and problems that there were. But both players were 100% committed to coming in. You said on Ocean FM in your interview in the last couple of days that you were delighted to see the team win against Bohemians at the weekend. They got, they got a 2-0 victory. And this is what Declan McIntyre, who's the interim manager, he worked with you, uh, had to say after the game. Just have a listen to this. So, fair to say you were, you were probably disappointed with the decision this week? I, I was. I was surprised. I think maybe people panicked. I think maybe there's a, a local media hunt on uh, to, to, to get Dave out of the club. It was very, very disappointing. And there's a long, long way to go in this league, a lot of football to be played. I, I went to see Shamrock Rose and Drogheda last night, and I saw the pressure that Stephen Bradley's under. But, you know, he's, he's not going to lose his job because he's doing a good job up there. You can address the local media after, uh, I'm sure you will. Um, but the performance night, what went right? Well, I'll be honest with you, I'm going to do a Jack Char- I'll address some of the local media, but the people or person that I know that I don't want to speak to, I won't be taking any questions from. What about the win tonight? Excellent. First class. Defending's an art as well. We defended brilliantly. They didn't breach us. It was superb. Declan McIntyre speaking after the win against Bohemians. He also said, Dave, that the win was down to you. It was Dave Robertson's team's team. It was Dave Robertson's tactics. So that must have been nice for you to hear. But at the same time, kind of strange. Um, yeah, no, listen, it was nice to hear because of <clears throat> after the decision was made, um, I spoke to the players, I addressed the players, I invited the chairman and the and the vice chairman into the changing room so as they could hear exactly what was being said. We spoke about what our common goals were and what we were aiming to achieve this year, highlighted that it's still achievable. Um, the players were obviously disappointed, as was as was I, Um and I was fully behind them. You know, Deco went into the game with my full support, um, 100% support in, in terms of what we was going to do. It was exactly the game plan that we discussed on the way back from the Galway game on the Monday night. And, um, you know, the biggest thing for me is it, it's credibility and the, the players and the staff for me um, have the biggest amount of credibility. And I have to say they made me proud to... Um, that they would dedicate that to me on a personal level, but um, also on a professional level. You know, uh, I think they'll go on and they'll um, and they'll do well. And with or without me, you know, that was that was always going to happen. Was there a side of you frustrated that that performance didn't come when you were in charge? No, not at all. Because of at the end of the day, um, like what I said, the last four performances we had won one, drawn two, and lost one. So. Um, the the form of the team was was improving anyway, um, and I suppose the only thing you can say is if the committee had probably included the players in the in the decision making process that they did in terms of the manager, then I'd have probably been the manager on Saturday night and continuing on with Sligo. But as it was, that's not the case. And you know what I have to do now is um, is be positive, you know, and look to move forward. And I don't think it will be long, Oshin, before. Um, I'll get back into it. What about what Declan said there about certain elements of the local media having an agenda or running a campaign or just being quite negative? Was there, or do you think there was a situation yeah. like that there? Yeah, there definitely, there definitely was. Um, I feel on that on that side of things. And the one thing that we did do when we first went in last year was. Um, I sat down with the management team and we looked at the challenges that the club was facing, real challenges that it was facing. And one of them was um, confidentiality. There was a, um, a lot of leaking of information um, between players, committee members, um, into local media, etc. And it was, um, it was something that we shut down straight away and we said, the one thing we have to be is we have to be a team together and what goes on in the dressing room stays in the dressing room. It's one of those unwritten rules, but we, we outwardly spoke about it and made it happen. And I think that um, some members of the, of the local media, when you, when you hear them talking, presenting and, and writing in the press, of, uh, would have been frustrated that they wouldn't have got the additional inside information that they may have been used to prior to me coming in. And I think that may be something that, that may have led to that. But at the end of the day, as a manager, you have to focus on the... Um, on the team, on the squad, and give them everything that they need to be able to perform. And um, I have to say, in that side of things, me, me players done that throughout the time now.
do you think the one individual that Declan mentioned there, and I don't know who he's talking about, by the way, it's it's hard to kind of talk about it when you haven't been in the Sligo bubble as I haven't. Do you think that person was overly harsh or like were they overly critical in articles? Were they overly critical in interviews to you? What do you think? Listen, there was a couple of things. There was um, there it, there was bits where um, where they, I think they was overly harsh on the, you know what I mean on the team, um, and I feel that there was um, you know it was a couple of personal bits as well um, that was that wasn't that wasn't right. And listen, the one thing that I would never do is is ever become personal. Do you know what I mean about yeah. anyone? Any and I you know and I have to say I took a little bit of offence to the to the person element of you know of of what was being done, and the management team were aware of that. What about their criticisms? Did they go over the top, or like what was it exactly? Well, to be fair, I'm not going to go into that because of it's water under the bridge now. I mean, it's not going to it's not going to change the outcome of anything. But um, to be fair, the management committee, the, the management team uh, are aware of it. You know, I explained it to the chairman. The chairman's aware of it, so. Um, you know that's something for for the club to look at moving forward. Okay, Dave Robertson. It sounds like you are going to move on to the next challenge very quickly indeed, and that you're looking forward to the next challenge. I am. I am. Um, to be fair, I'm going to take the, the family away now on a holiday whilst the, the two boys are um, are on their Easter break. We're going to have seven days away. Um, we're going to have a look at it. Uh, had a couple of discussions with um, clubs in England and. Um, I'm also open to, to staying here in the League of Ireland because of, I really enjoy the league. I really enjoy the, the, the level, and the, um, and it's been good to me over the last 18 months. So um, I'm also, you know, quite open to um, to things abroad. So we've got a wide scope now, and it's something that I'm going to sit down with the family. We'll have our discussion whilst we're away, and um, and we'll move forward. I guess from everything you do in life, you want to learn from it. I appreciate maybe this soon after it's. It's tough to answer this question, but can you tell me what you've learned from your time in Sligo, good and bad? Yeah, two things. No, I'd say three things. I think the first thing is um, how good the standard is in the League of Ireland. Um, I think then on a personal level, um, I think the, the second thing that I've learned is how to how to manage in a really, really resourceful way under a um, under tight budget constraints and the uh, the challenges that, uh, that 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 brings to you, um, and I also think that probably my biggest thing to learn is you know, those bits that were going on externally outside of the dressing room. Um, I probably should have dealt with two weeks ago, and I think that would have had a a big impact on how things were being reported. So, um, as I've reviewed it and reviewed it objectively, um, I can be positive that we've only lost three games in the showgrounds in my 18 months there. You know the team has um, has made it a tough place to go, and uh, we've put a squad together. You know that hopefully they'll be able to they'll be able to keep together and um, and move forward. But um, they'll do that now. You know without me as part of it. But I can look back on reflection and you know and um, be proud and and knowing that I've enjoyed my time now. Dave, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I know it's it's not an easy conversation. Uh, to have and a lot of guys wouldn't have done it but I appreciate that you have a best of luck with whatever is next for you and your family Brilliant Austin thanks very much mate speak to you soon This is News Talks SSE or Tristity Lee podcast I'm Oisín Langan still to come Harry Kenny of Bray but first Galway United boss Shane Keegan on this Friday's meeting with St. Pat's at Eamon DC Park the tribesmen still looking for a first league win this season last Friday they lost 1-0 to Bray at the Carlisle grounds and afterwards I spoke to Keegan about how he's trying to fix things and what's gone wrong so far this season I put it to him that there's nothing wrong, wrong with their work rate but they're, they're quite simply not creating enough chances yeah no that's fair to say alright so it is definitely um, and that's probably the second game in a row where that was the case first five league games we were great well no not against Cork we weren't great against Cork but the other games we created lots and lots of chances and at that stage we were giving out about the fact that we weren't taking our chances now it's kind of gone the opposite way and that we're not creating a massive amount now we're not conceding a massive amount either which makes every game really 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 tight um, but I think for us to get over the line and get the three points that we need 
we, we need to blow someone out of water because the tight games just aren't falling for us at the moment. Yeah. It needs to be a game where we win 3 0, and there's absolutely no doubt because if it's the 50 50 games at the moment are always falling in one direction and it's not ours, you know. There seems to be a bit of hesitancy when you get into the final third. I'm not sure where that comes from. Does it come from the negative pressure of a bad run of results? Does it come from a bit of youth in the team? Does it come from guys still settling their way into the season because people might forget we're still very new to the season where does it come from yeah it's probably a little little bit of a combination of all of them really to be honest I mean like we've got you know all three of the boys who were up top there tonight for us you know they're fantastic footballers and showed some individual bits of brilliance and the bit where the three of them combined for, for Conor Melody's chance was, was fantastic so it was but one the longer the run goes on and two even the longer a game goes on within a game itself, um, you know, we come out, we look confident, we're knocking around, and it's almost like every passing minute just chips away at us a little bit, so it does, and, and just ebbs that confidence away on them a little bit. And it's it's a real chicken and egg scenario, really, because I'm telling them, I'm t- you know, they probably feel that they're not going to have that natural confidence until the win comes. But we aren't going to get the win until we show the natural confidence, or at least fake the natural confidence. Convince yeah. yourself uh, that you've got that confidence. You know, there was times, especially after the brace ending off, when Kenny was sent off, he had a lot of possession. I didn't notice kind of guys running into space and showing for the ball. Is that something you'd be disappointed with? Is that something that you have to look at? Yeah, well, you definitely, you definitely would have hoped to, um, you definitely would have hoped to create a few, you know, a few more chances. Obviously, when they're down to ten men, so you would. Um, the fact that they had obviously the lead to sit on meant that they could just put their their two banks there, and I mean, effectively, they played with two banks plus a ten. They didn't even play with a nine, which is the right way to go from their side of things particularly when you've got Dylan and Aaron on the counter-attack um, coming the opposite direction but yeah we didn't there's no point saying otherwise we played one great diag yeah. over the right full's uh, head that, that Jesse got on Has that to. been a thing this season though that guys aren't saying hey give me the ball I want the ball well Ronan is <laughs> absolutely yeah. no doubt Ronan is and he's you know he's kind of been the shining light for us from an attacking perspective so he has um, and he's constantly demanding it as is David Cawley in fairness yeah. but Cawley's playing that bit deeper he's not going to pick it up in an area that's going to go and score a goal um, but yeah I suppose this you know that's what results kind of do to you I mean they are by and large confident individuals but I suppose when you're seven games into a season and you haven't got a win it is going to eat away at you a little bit no more than it will at me I'm second guessing everything I'm doing at the moment and questioning everything you do at the moment and that's human nature you know you don't want to have an unbelievable level of self-confidence for that not to be the case and if that's if that's the way I am and just feeling tetchy and, and that kind of thing well then naturally enough that's the way each and every one of them probably feels at the moment as well and yeah. we all need that uh, we all need that lift but um it ain't going to just drop in our laps. We need to make it happen. You need to make it happen next weekend against St. Pat's. No doubt you'd encourage the Galway fans, get out, create an atmosphere because Eamon DC Park is a great place to be when there's a crowd in. Absolutely. Um, and look, I have no doubt that there are Galway fans extremely frustrated yeah. with us not getting enough results. And I'm sure that there's plenty of social media, unkind words maybe been fired at us here and there. But honestly, genuinely, when the final whistle goes, I don't know if those supporters are coming to matches or not because all we're seeing is rounds of applause from supporters and and players being applauded off the pitch. And I was standing in your fans tonight and they were they were look they were disappointed. There's no doubt about that, but there was no one going over the top. There was no one calling for heads. There was no silly stuff. And to be honest, that's amazing and and fantastic. Yeah. It is absolutely fantastic because. Uh, if you threw that in on top of everything else, well then it, you know it would start to become a toxic situation. And the fact that they haven't turned on the lads um, is, you know, it is one real, real bright spark. But you can't expect endless patience either. At the same time, you know. This is News Talks SSE Tricity League podcast, and that was Galway United manager Shane Keegan. He spoke to me after their defeat to Bray. Now they're managed by Harry Kenny, obviously a former Shamrock Rovers legend. Uh, I've been spending some time with Harry this week and we've been speaking about the great job he's doing at Bray, what their ambitions are, what they want to do as a club. But first, I asked him about Shamrock Rovers and his time there and the fact that it's 30 years this week since Milltown was closed. I'm not great with memories. I can uh, hardly remember yesterday, but uh, I remember that day vividly, actually, um, when the crowd came on the pitch at halftime and... Dermot went out and had a chat. Dermot was in charge at the time after taking over from Jim McLaughlin. Um, yeah, the day was it was an awful day as a, as a player. 
um, particularly for myself because I was after being there a long time. I joined in '78, um, so that's that was nine nine years um, at the club, and then you would see the the mill town obviously gone, um, and that was very disappointing. But um, I had brilliant times at Milltown. I've only fond memories of Milltown. What was so special about Milltown, or do we think it's more special than it actually was because it's like the rock star that dies young? it will be young forever and you kind of think, God, imagine what could have been. You know, it's like James Dean, the actor. He's a legend because he died so young. I never had the pleasure of going to Milton. I was only six when it closed. So even if I did get to go there, I wouldn't remember it. Maybe you can tell people of my generation and younger and maybe even a bit older as well what it was like, what made it so special. I, I think uh, the number of occasions made it so so special. Um, the likes of playing Celtic there in the European Cup, playing Linfield there in the European Cup beating Man United, uh, beating Arsenal up in Glenmalure, having that uh, four-in-a-row very successful team. Um, I, th- I just think uh, we very rarely lost in Milltown. We had a fabulous team with um, internationals, lads that have uh, left Rovers at the time to go to, the likes of Liam, go to uh, Manchester United. Liam O'Brien. Liam O'Brien. Yeah. Uh, Pat Bourne coming back from Hearts. So there was all sorts of special players. John Cody left to go to, to Chelsea. Paul Doon arrived from uh, Bowles at the time. So lots of really good players. And I think the, also the attraction of Milltown was that the pitch was fabulous. There was lots of good players and we played a, a very, very attractive brand of football. And it was a winning brand as well. Um, we won more than we lost, obviously, um, with the success we've had. So um, it was just a fabulous place to play. The pitch, that's something people keep mentioning. Apparently it was one of the best in the country. The pitch was fabulous. I, I think when John Giles came back first and we went full-time, we were full-time there for five years, when he came back first, he insisted on a good playing surface because he came, he himself came from that great Leeds team and insisted that we, we he wanted to get the best players in the country up there full-time for starters and wanted a, a really good surface to play on. So that, that was his sort of uh, mantra, if you like. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned the special occasions that made Milltown special, but week to week... Was it a case that there just wasn't enough people there to generate an atmosphere or or what was it like? Because when we think back on the great days and the glory days of League of Ireland, we only think of the glory days. We don't kind of think of the week to week. Yeah, yeah. It's a good point, O'Shane, in the sense that uh, we were winning so many matches. But uh, at the time, I think uh, the crowd were picking and choosing their games because if we were playing, uh, no disrespect to clubs, say Galway or whoever, who weren't going well in the league, you probably wouldn't get the crowds there. Um, and then when you played the likes of Bowles, which was a derby game, or whoever was on top of the league at the time, you would get the crowds. But I just think that the crowds were picking and choosing, a little bit fickle at the time, um, when they should have been coming in their droves because we were winning so many games. So at that time, um, you know, we, we were winning a lot, but the crowds um, didn't match what we were doing on the pitch, basically. It's 30 years on. Rovers have a great new home now. They have a, an expanded fan base. They've kept the fans that they had. I always found the narrative a little bit simplistic when it came to the sale of the ground and how it went through. But how important is it to not look back in anger, to actually just let it go? Life is complicated. It's it's just the nature of it. I think you're allowed to look back, Oshin, all right. But look back with fond memories because yeah. of the uh, trophies that were won there and the special occasions, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, we had there. Playing in Europe every year consecutively for the four years mm. was fantastic, getting good teams to Milltown, get fellas from Europe and all that sort of stuff, and being able to see them on your doorstep, they're fond memories for me. Fond memories of uh, a legend like John Giles coming and managing at the club and playing the attractive brand of football. Jim McLaughlin was probably ultimately the best manager that I'd ever uh, managed in League of Ireland football. Arguably the best team ever uh, up to now that has played League of Ireland football, that great team in the 80s. So I, I would like to look back with them memories and don't look back at... Uh, the sale of it and all that sort of stuff. So I'd, I'd rather look back with the memories. Yeah, and I think that's a very fair point. Talk to me about when you arrived at Shamrock Rovers because, like I say, talking about the sale of the ground and Shamrock Rovers leaving the ground was merely a coincidence because we wanted to talk to you for a while now about your footballing philosophy, your footballing past, your footballing present and your footballing future. Let's go back to the past first. You first signed under John Giles. So what was it like when a legend came to you and said... I want you to play for Shamrock Rovers and this is what I want Shamrock Rovers to be. I was a nervous wreck, to be honest <laughs> with you. He came up to my house up in the Navin Road and uh, like I'm, I'm one of uh, 
nine in a family, nine boys in the house, and John Giles arrives. We're all excited and delighted. He's up to sign me. I, I left school very early. I left at 16. I actually made my debut um, at 16 for Rovers. But, um, yeah, it was great. John Giles himself is originally from the Navin Road. Not that I knew him or anything like it. But, uh, you know, he was a legend playing for Leeds, Leeds United and ultimately managed um, Ireland then at the time. So it was great to have him up the house and someone of, of that ilk wanting you, wanting you to sign. So I definitely no hesitation in signing and going full time there. And it was quite an ambitious project, John Giles, and what he wanted to do with Shamrock Rovers. And you were a big part of that. Um, do you think maybe he was actually a bit ahead of his time, Gilesy? He probably was. Um, he was way ahead of himself in the sense that he, he wanted to get um, a bunch of young lads, say 20, 24 lads, the best in Ireland and play an attractive brand of football. But um, not that it was that long ago, but in them days, the pitches weren't as good as they are now. And he wanted us to play in the likes of Terryland Park, which wasn't great. And Marcus Fields at the time weren't great. Now, they've all hugely improved at this moment in time. But we were trying to play a brand of football that wasn't uh, conducive to the services at the time. Um, but but Giles's idea is sort of only coming to fruition now in the sense that Cork are full-time, Dundalk mm. full-time and going really well. He was probably trying that way before his time and, and it just wasn't really on at the time. Yeah, the structures seem to be more in place now for that to happen. And with the clubs taking over the under-15 league, I guess that will help. And it all kind of goes back to Giles's idea in the first place. Create a club, create an environment, create a community. Yeah, he he, he really tried to create an academy which... Um, Clubs are trying to do now, as you mentioned, uh, the the FAI are insisting on now the, the under 15s, 17s, 19s, which is fabulous to get them under the League of Ireland umbrella and get them through playing the National League. And it'll only be better, the National League, with these young lads coming through. It's also better, I think, for the player themselves that they're gaining experience of an academy. They're gaining experience of getting playing against the best players here before they go. Because if you think of it, well, I can only think of very few that have gone as, as a young lad and are now currently playing in the UK. Or if you flip it on the other side, you've got the others, the, the Longs, the Colemans, the Doyles and all of these fellas who have played in League of Ireland and then gone. I think it's the best route to the UK. What can we learn from Giles's time as we go to the next stage of this? I mean, for example, you've linked up with St. Joseph's. So that stops maybe a potential argument or a potential butting of heads when it comes to this under-15 league which is being established, which some clubs aren't happy with, but with Bray, you're linking up with Joseph's, so you're both kind of getting something out of it and it avoids aggro. Yeah, you're dead right. Um, I like to think of it as uh, the best playing with the best, that all the best young players are 15 are going to be linked with a League of Ireland club. There's no, um, whereas you might be playing with a school by club and you're playing against teams and you're winning 9 and 10 nil. That shouldn't happen now with, with, with uh, the underage teams now playing at a National League level. The game should be closer, which benefits the players and as a result benefits the league. And I think that's the way forward, definitely. Yeah. Now talk to me about your footballing philosophy. Did it did it get formed under John Giles? I mean, when you're taking to the training ground now and taking sessions with Bray, uh, is there is there is there a bit of Gilesy in there as well? Well, people do ask me, you know, where do I get my philosophy from, and what what manager do I take the most from? Like, I take a bit from every manager. I've played under Darren McKeeley, who was a great manager. I've played under Noel King, Giles, obviously uh, Noel Campbell, um, and obviously Jim McLaughlin, who won all them trophies. But uh, I would say that I've taken the most from John Giles through his professionalism the way he wanted to play the game, on the ground, pass and pass through the midfield, that type of thing. Um, definitely, um, he, he was a fantastic man, manager. He had one of these sort of photographic memories that he could remember everything that happened, whether it was a half-time or at the end of a game. So, uh, yeah, he, he, he probably had the biggest influence on my career, definitely as a player, and certainly um, a lot of it um, I would use as a manager as well. You had spells under Jim McLaughlin, as you say, and Dermot Keeley, and like you worked with some of the best. So, do you do you take inspiration from all of them? Like, is there little bits of stuff that you do in training, and you think to yourself, okay, I actually got that from Keeley. Okay, I got that from Jim. No, I don't really look look at it that way, but it probably does happen up mm. Ushin in a sense that, um, like Dermot, um, and he'd be first to acknowledge that he inherited a fabulous team, um, and and it is a skill in itself to keep to keep the team going and and then go win a double. Um, to be fair to him. Um, 
but <coughs> excuse me, um, Jim McLaughlin, I, I, I thought his strengths were, was being able to select players. He had a very good coach um, alongside him, Noel King. But Jim did the selection of the team and was able to select um, good players year after year. The likes of bringing in, I suppose, Noel Larkin and Mick Bourne after um, Alan Campbell and Liam Buckley left. That type of thing. He was very good at that. He was good, very good at replacing players. So I thought that was his strength. But overall, I thought uh, John Giles had everything. He was good at selecting players. He knew the game inside out. And uh, he was very, very professional in everything he did. Regards yourself, it's, it's taken you a while to get to League of Ireland management level. But you have been coaching all the way along and in all that time. Is that a good thing that you were allowed to kind of form your own theories you were allowed to make the mistakes maybe that you get away with at a lower level before you step up to League of Ireland that you were able to develop your own coaching philosophy your own coaching brand yeah I think you well I cut my teeth in the junior uh, end of things in the Leinster Senior League with a club called Ashtown Villa Mm. and uh, it's tough in a sense in them leagues as well I mean there are ex-League of Ireland lads drop down and play in that league and it's a tough um, league um, but I did learn a lot, a huge, about handling players and uh, what you said earlier about philosophies and how I want the game to be played and that type of thing. But at the same time, I was um, involved with lifestyle sports in a, in a different life, really, I guess. And I did, well, wouldn't have had the time anyway yeah. to go into League of Ireland. So um, it suited me to be sort of um, managing um, at junior football level. Um, I definitely wouldn't have had the time if I was doing the National League. So that's that's the real reason I didn't pursue uh, the national the national league. What are the differences between coaching a, a Leinster senior league side and a League of Ireland side? Is it the dedication that the guys can give? Is it the attitude? Is it the fitness, the intensity? What what are the main differences? I think for starters, uh, the national league lads are getting paid, and um, a lot of them are treating it as a job, which it is their job. Um, and the other thing, you're right. Um, the application from the national league lads is uh, superior to the to the junior lads and the junior lads that play train uh, twice a week whereas our lads will be three and four times a week on match day as well um, they take it more serious uh, they look after themselves um, they eat well they drink uh, what they're supposed to be drinking and all that sort of stuff that goes along with being a professional player so they take care of themselves better and they apply themselves better yeah definitely Is that the main thing the main difference between League of Ireland players and we'll say Leinster senior league players Technically, they might have the same abilities, but, and if you've ever heard the podcast, you know I'm a GA man. The GA players at inter-county level get an awful lot of credit for the sacrifice to play inter-county. Now, for most of them, they don't get paid. Some of them do well out of it commercially, but that's, that's very few. In the league, there's a lot of players, particularly in the first division, who don't get paid, but they commit to an elite level. Even in the Premier League, there's a lot of guys who get paid, but they don't get paid a whole lot, but they still commit to the life at a premier level are you seeing that are you seeing younger players especially doing that because they know if they put in the work they might just be a Kevin Doyle a Shane Long a David Myler definitely um, there's a huge commitment from them lads and as you rightly say um, a lot of them aren't uh, paid that well but they have the drive and the ambition uh, to improve themselves and uh, have an ambition maybe to play in the UK or whatever mm-hmm. and nothing will stop them I mean Nowadays, they're they're eating the right food. They're they're talking to strength and conditioning coaches. They're talking nutritionists, all that sort of stuff. And they really are looking after themselves much better than they certainly did in my day. And as a result, they're fitter and better. They're technically better. I feel um this day and age than we were. Fellas are better um equipped to use both left and right foot um than we were in our day. And uh, I would have to say um much fitter, sharper, all that sort of stuff. Not to say that when I was playing that it was a poor level, it was a fantastic level, but I think it's moved on so much now with um, all the different uh, scientists and all that sort of stuff that are coming in to help improve players. Are they more willing to be coached? Are they more willing to listen than we'll say young fellas who, who played when you were ending your career and you kind of saw what the new generation were like coming through? Well, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, they, they know it all these days, yeah. I can tell you that much. Um, no, not really. Um, I would like to think in our day we probably listened more and, and took the information more. Um, there's a lot of uh, information for players to pick up um, from whatever it is, whether it's books, magazines, social media, all that sort of stuff. And they can pick up all that and, and you know, between videos and 
analysis after matches and all that sort of stuff, they can gain huge amount of information. So they're, they're, they're armed with that now. And it's not just a matter of putting on a session now. Fellas need to know why we're doing sessions and what, what the sessions are about and that type of thing. So A manager and a coach can no longer be a dictator, essentially. I mean, you can't just say to your lads, do it because I told you. They deserve a reason or yeah. maybe it's 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 good to give them a reason no and they're right they want a reason and they want a reason on why they're doing things and uh, why, why they can't do things as well and it's at the end of the day everyone should be in it to, to, to gain a result at the weekend and if it means an, an inquiry from a player during the week which might help us get, gain that victory at the weekend fantastic great we'll answer all the questions and I, I think also um, with all the different badges, the, the, the A license, the B license, the pro license and all that sort of, that sort of prepares you for all these type of questions and they're, they're, they're great uh, licenses to have. So, um, yeah, in that sense, I, I think uh, the player has a right now to, to ask why they're doing things. You mentioned your previous life was at, uh, with lifestyle, lifestyle. lifestyle Sports and I think you might have worked in retail as well for a bit. Yeah. How important was that? in making you a better coach and a better manager. I mean, the coaching badges and your lifetime in football, important. But also, I've no doubt you can take lessons from that side of your life as well. Yeah, I would uh, I would always compare the two, Oisin, um, that uh, I was in lifestyle sports. Um, I became a director and shareholder there. And part of my brief was uh, the operations end of things, which is managing people, which is yeah. the same as football. You're managing people all the time how to massage people, how to look after people, how to be hard on people, how to step back and um, assess things. So, yeah, I gained huge knowledge on how to manage people from the business point of view. Now, the reason we've waited this long to speak to you is because it was only last weekend I actually got out to go and see you play and you beat Galway 1-0. By your own admission, not the greatest performance in the world, but I saw enough from the likes of Gary McCabe and Aaron Green and Dylan Connolly to see why you're jockeying for position in the top four at the moment and to see why people are impressed with you in an attacking sense. You kept the first clean sheet of the season. Maybe I'm your good luck charm, first clean sheet of the season in the league anyway. But talk to me about the squad you have and how you put it together because you're really impressive and you're you're a team that are out to play football. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, well, we signed lots of good players. Um, I sat down with the chairman at the end of uh, last season and uh, we looked at the squad. We looked at uh, positions where we felt we needed to, to strengthen, um, which we've done. Um, um, I couldn't believe the likes of Gary and Aaron were, were available at the time, so we went after and got them. We'd also a couple of other targets, which uh, I won't mention, but we didn't get them um, because there was better money elsewhere. Um, but, you know, I made five key signings, uh, which was Derek Forden to play at the back, mm. Gary to play a number 10 role, Keith Buckley, midfield, Aaron Green and uh, Anto Flood up the top and they've made a huge contribution this year. I was delighted with the signs we've made um, and we had done very, very well in the second half of last season and I just wanted to try and push on and uh, we're currently doing that and long may it continue. I mean, uh, last year, last April, actually a, a year to sort of date at, the, at this moment in time, we were bottom of the table with Longford with four points after eight games, I think it was. And uh, to turn it around, to be up to third in the table at this moment of time is fantastic. Now, our next three games are a, are a little bit tricky in a sense. We've done Dock away Friday, Rovers at home, and then uh, we have Cork away. So it's it's a, a tough end to the first third of the season. Players must like that, though, wasn't they? Because they have the chance to go out and show they're as good as the best. Players love that. They, they like playing the big occasion. Our lads will relish going up to Dundalk with a decent crowd, to be a decent crowd in the Carlisle and Rovers. And, and everyone knows that Cork are getting huge crowds at this moment in time. That's why they play and dedicate themselves to get into cup finals, to get into big matches, playing in decent in uh, decent venues and that. So, yeah, um, I agree with you. Players uh, love that type of thing. I think I am your good luck charm because the only time I saw you last year was at home to Dundalk and you beat them. Talk to me about Gary McCabe. I, I saw, I think it was Dave Barry on Soccer Republic on Monday night say he was further back the field, but you've deployed him as a front man. Is that a conversation you have with someone like Gary when you're signing him? You say, look, this is what we can pay you, but also this is how I see your position on the pitch. Is that very much 
part of the kind of selling point to a player definitely yeah you definitely um, talk to the player about their best position and where I see them in uh, my philosophy or my team and uh, certainly around the, the top area of the pitch because he, he's a very very skillful and creative player and brilliant with dead ball situations up around the up around the goals so it was an obvious one for me um, I did see him play for Rovers in the middle of the pitch whilst he was very good there he wasn't affecting the game in my view now, other managers obviously have different views on where he should be playing. But uh, behind the striker and letting players run off the front man, and he, he, he'll he find them all day long. Uh, very creative player, yeah. And Aaron Green, another example. He looks hungry. I mean, he was mad for road against Galway last week. He's had a lot of clubs, seven before he got to year. I think year he's seventh. So how do you know when you're talking to him that he's hungry for it? He's not just coming along to play for another club. Uh, look, Aaron, Aaron played obviously in the first division. I think he found it a little bit easy in the first mm. division. And I know Limerick came up as well. Aaron's from, from Talla. We, we only train not too far from Talla. But he, he's very ambitious, Aaron. He wants to do well. Um, we spoke about the, the players I was signing. I spoke about where we wanted to go um, with the team and that it's not uh, any more Bray Wanderers hanging around the bottom end of the table. We wanted to uh, get up the top half of the table and... Um, he liked that I was very ambitious. He liked that the club was very ambitious. And uh, he's ambitious himself. And I'm delighted with his contribution, whether it's wide or up front. Aaron can do a job on the, uh, in either um, part of the pitch. And you've had investment, which is good. We want to see investment in League of Ireland clubs. But does that in some way bring its own pressure? Are there minimum targets required, minimum targets set? Uh, you know, anytime someone invests in a club now, do they, do they want you to do a Dundalk, if I can put it that way? I think every club would love to do a Dundalk on it. I, I, um, I'm my worst uh, critic that I would put loads of pressure on myself to do well. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have stayed at Bray if I thought there would be going to be no investment and that it was just going to be a struggle like they have done in previous years. Um, I'm ambitious. I, I've, I've won loads in the game and I wanted to try and do that as a manager as well. Um, and I spoke to the chairman about that and uh, he was all up for it. We got the investment in. Um, we got a few bob in and we, we signed a few, couple of good players and we finished in sixth position last year, which I'd like to try and improve on. And if we improve on that, you never know where you're going to end up. Yeah. I know it wasn't a glamour game last week against Galway. Three points is three points, granted. But do more people need to start going to games to make this whole thing viable or, or how does it work? Definitely. Um, I was very disappointed when I, and I read after the game there was something like 460 odd yeah. people at the match. And we were going into the game that if we won the game, we'd be in third spot. Um, so that was hugely disappointing. I would just, uh, the, the people, uh, the board and the, the um, volunteers, are, they're very active in Bray and trying to get people out there. But uh, really, really difficult. I mean, we're actually very entertaining this year in a sense. Yeah. I'm laughing because I hate giving goals away because I'm an old defender in that. But by God, we're entertaining, we're 3-2, we're 4-3, we're, we're all these sort, sort of scores. Um, and if you can't get them out with that sort of entertainment and winning and up around the top end of a table, I don't know what's going to bring them out, to be quite honest with you. I guess maybe just doing it over a course, doing it over the course of the season, Will, because I would totally agree with you. You were brilliant to watch the other night, even though it wasn't you at your best, but this season you've, you know, you've been one of the most entertaining teams. Yeah, and we've a lot of entertaining players, as all the lads you mentioned there earlier on. Um, very, very good. We're playing a nice brand of football. Um, we're scoring plenty of goals. We're conceding a few goals. Um, and there's lots of thrills and spills, and I just, I just don't get it. Maybe, as you say, if we do it over a, um, a certain length of time, they might start coming out. Or maybe if we win something, they'll start to come out and support us. But... I'd really ask them to come out because uh, we, we've we've Rovers uh, next week in the Carlisle, which is a big game, and Rovers will bring a few with them. And then we're back into the new series after the Cork game when we've Pats at home. So I'd like to think that they might come out. Um, we're in the EA Cup uh, um, in Pats on Monday as well. Yeah. So, you know, we're getting a few fans going to away games. We're getting a few fans at home. But it's certainly not enough to sustain what we're trying to do up at Bray. And just before I let you go, it's Dundalk away on Friday night. Dundalk did great things for the League of Ireland last year. I think they kind of took away the caveat of League of Ireland football. People said that was a good game of football. They didn't say that was good for League of Ireland, which must be a very frustrating thing to hear when you spent your life in it and you've played part of played as part of great teams. 
but you can't kind of stand back and admire them on Friday, can you? You have to, to mill in there just as you did last season. Absolutely. Dundalk were fabulous last year. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, mind you, they've, they've lots of good players. They're very good yeah. players. Uh, the lads they lost, I'm, I'm sure it was a huge drain on Stephen, but um, they've done the league really, really proud. They yeah. competed in Europe, obviously, as everyone knows, and they competed fantastically. Very professional, represented the league brilliantly, um, and I would have utmost regard for that club the way they uh, conducted themselves firstly and secondly what they achieved fantastic Harry really appreciate your time best of luck on Friday thanks very much thanks Oshin this is News Talk's SSE Electricity League podcast and my thanks to Harry Kenny for spending some time with us this week as always we're grateful to all the guests who speak to us because they get literally nothing in return except for our praise uh, let's go through the fixtures this week on Friday night it's Bowles against Cork City Derry take on Finn Harps Dundalk meet Bray Galway meet St Pat's and Shamrock Rovers face Sligo on Saturday night it's Limerick against Drogheda that one kicks off at half six a busy day in Limerick because earlier that day at three o'clock uh, Munster take on Len- Ulster I beg your pardon in the Guinness Pro 12 in the first division on Friday night it's UCD against Cabin Teeley. Waterford taking on at lone Wexford meet Cove those are Friday night matches and on Saturday it's Longford against Shelburne that's it for this week it was uh, Danless but hopefully not joyless uh, as always you can get in contact with us on at Oshin Langan or at Ismisha Dan until next week have a happy Easter weekend we'll talk to you soon good luck bye bye